Amen. All right. Well, we're there in uh, Matthew chapter number 16. Am I, am I on? Can you hear me? I can't hear myself. Are you able to hear me? Is this thing on? Matthew chapter number 16. I don't know. Nobody, nobody's awake. Can you hear me? Can you? you can. All right. Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. There we go. Okay, good. All right. Matthew chapter number 16. That's where we're at. Matthew chapter number 16. I'd like you to look down at verse number 13. And actually, before you go there, let me, let me say this. We're, we're, we announced this morning we're beginning a, a new series entitled The Blueprints for a Biblical Church. And uh, we're going to look at the next three weeks. We're going to look at this idea of what constitutes a scriptural or a biblical church. And you've got to answer this question. Are all churches good? I mean, there's hundreds of different types of churches out there. Are they all good? Are they all scriptural? Do they all honor God? And that's what we want to try to figure out over the next several weeks. It's going to be very much of a Bible study as we look at these uh, different passages. And we're going to look at a lot of passages uh, this morning. So I want you to be ready to move. I'll try to help and direct you as we go. But I want to start uh, with this idea of the foundation of the church or the founder of the church. Because like I said, we're studying this idea of a biblical church. And we have to begin with the realization that Jesus is the founder. Uh, He is the founder of what we know today as a local New Testament church. Now, you're there in Matthew 16. Look down at verse number 13. Jesus asked his disciples a question. He said, Matthew 16, verse 13, When Jesus came in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he asked a very specific question. He said, Who do men? What are people saying about me. Verse 14, and they said, some say. So they're telling, here's what people say about you. Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, another Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Look at verse 15. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? So he asked, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, Elias, uh, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Now he's asking his disciples. He's asking his inner core there. He's saying, whom do, uh, but whom say ye that I am? He said, who do you think that I am. Now I want you to look at verse number 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, now notice what he says. He says, thou art the Christ. Now the word Christ, and I don't have time to develop this, you can study this out on your own, but the word Christ in the Bible means Messiah. It means the one that is to come, the Savior of the world, the one that God would send to save us. That's, that's what he says when he says Christ. You know, we say the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and sometimes we act like that's his last name or something. The word Christ is a title. It means Messiah. And he said, this is what Peter said, he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he refers to his position as Messiah. He refers to his position as deity, the Son of the living God. Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it. Now I want you to notice that word it, all right, in your Bible there. He says, flesh and blood, meaning a human being or a person, hath not revealed it, Unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, but my Father which is in heaven did what? My Father which is in heaven is the one that revealed it unto thee. Are you following what I'm saying? So he said, flesh and blood did not reveal it, but my Father which is in heaven. So here's the question. What is the it? What is he referring to? Well, he's referring to this truth. He's referring to this statement because remember, Jesus asked them, whom say ye? That I am. And Peter says, thou art the Christ. And the it is referring to that statement that thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, hey, you didn't get that from man. You didn't get that from flesh and blood. He said, that was revealed to you by my Father, which is in heaven. Look at verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this is the, 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 probably the clearest passage where we learn that Jesus is the one who instituted the local New Testament church. I want you to notice what he says. He says, I will build my church. He is the founder. He is the builder. He did not say, I will build your church. He did not say, you will build my church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, who was this church built upon? He says, he says, and upon this rock. Now, today, 
the Catholic Church will teach that this statement is showing that the, the church was built about, upon Peter. And they'll say that Peter is a rock. But if you study uh, the name of Peter, number one, throughout Scripture, it doesn't, it doesn't mean rock. But I want you to notice that throughout the Bible, the rock is always the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I just recently preached an entire sermon on this on a Wednesday night, maybe three or four weeks ago. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I, I want to just show it to you real quickly. We're going to leave Matthew, but I want you to just remember these things. Jesus asked in verse 16, whom say ye that I am? The response in verse 16 was, thou art the Christ. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed it, has not revealed this truth, this statement, this uh, idea that I am the Christ. Flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then in that context, Jesus said, I say unto you, unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, what is the rock, or who is the rock? You're there in Matthew. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, if you're in Matthew, you're going to go past the book of Mark, past the book of Luke, past the book of John, past Acts, past Romans, into 1 Corinthians. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And like I said, I preached a whole sermon on this not too long ago. We could, we could, we could preach a whole sermon on this and spend a lot of time, but we're not going to do that. I'm just going to give you one reference. Because he said, upon this rock... I will build my church. And that term, the rock, is used throughout the entire Bible. I mean, Old Testament, New Testament. Let me give you one example. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 4. Notice what he says. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. This is referring back to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. For they drink of that spiritual rock. Okay, was that Peter? For they drink of that spiritual rock. That followed them. He said there was a rock that followed them back in the Old Testament. Back, back when they were wandering in the wilderness, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. Notice what he says, colon, and that rock was, what's that say? Christ. Do you see that? Now notice, what did Peter say in Matthew 16? He said, thou art the what? Christ. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood have not revealed it unto you. Revealed what unto you? The fact that I am the Christ. And then Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And 1 Corinthians 10, 4 tells us that the rock was Christ. So was the local New Testament church founded upon Peter? The answer is no. It was founded upon the rock. See, when Jesus said, upon this rock, what is he referring to? He's referring to the fact that he is the Christ. He's referring to that statement, that truth, that was not revealed unto Peter by flesh and blood, but it was revealed unto him by the Father. And here's what I want you to understand. The local New Testament church was started by Christ. It was founded by Christ. Christ is the foundation of it. He is the head of it. He is the builder of it. He is the leader of it. And you say, why, why are you uh, telling us all this? And here's what you need to understand. When we're going to study the Bible for the blueprints of a biblical church, we have to start with this idea that the institution of the church belongs to Christ. It is His church. It's not my church. Verity Baptist Church is not Pastor Jimenez's church. It is, if it's a scriptural church, it is the church of Christ. It is founded upon Christ. It is built by Christ. And therefore, we must search the scriptures to make sure that we are in, in the right order, in the right structure. So I want to speak to you this morning about the structure of a biblical church. We're going to look at a lot of different subjects over the next three weeks, but I want to talk this week about the structure of a biblical church. You're there in 1 Corinthians. I'd like you to go with me to the book of Ephesians. You're going to go past 1 and 2 Corinthians into the book of Galatians, uh, into the book of Ephesians. So past 1 and 2 Corinthians, past Galatians, and then you've got the book of Ephesians. I'm going to try to help you uh, go through the Bible because I want you to look at all these passages with me together. Number one, we're going to talk about the authority structure of the local church. The authority structure of the local church. See, Jesus and the Bible outlines an authority structure of the local church. What is that authority structure? If you're there in the book of Ephesians, go look at chapter 1 and look at verse number 22. 
For those of you taking notes, the first point this morning is the authority structure of the local church. Ephesians chapter 1, look down at verse number 22. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, notice what the Bible says. And have put all things under his feet. Now the his there is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to take the time to read the whole chapter. You can read it in this context if you'd like. But I just want you to know his feet are Christ's feet. Notice what he says. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him, talking about Christ, to be the head. I want you to make note of that word, the head, or, or those two words, the head, but the word head there. He says, and hath given and gave him to be the head over all things, notice, to who? To the church, all right? Now, he's the head of everything, but specifically, Jesus has the position of the head to the church. Look at verse 23. What's the church? Which is the body. The fullness of him that filleth it all in all. So he says there's a picture here. If you picture a, a human body, he says the local church is the body of Christ. The things that get done on this earth are done through the local New Testament church. It is through the church. You say, well, who controls the church? The head, the, the body. The head does. The head decides where the body goes. The head decides what the body does. But listen to me. The head does not pick up bread and eat it. The head does not get up and go to work. The head tells the body what to do. In the same way, Christ tells the church what to do. And here's what you need to understand. The work of Christ is done in this world through the local New Testament church. Here's what that means. If you are not in a local New Testament church, you are not involved in the work of Christ. Because the work of Christ is always done through the body of Christ. It's always done through the local New Testament church. Today you have people saying, well, I'm not part of a church, but I still serve the Lord. I still go soul winning. I still do this. You may do good things, but you are not doing the work of God. You are not doing it because God's work is always done through his church, the body of Christ. You there in Ephesians 1, look at Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5, look at verse number 23. Ephesians 5, 23. Notice what the Bible says, Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Usually we go to this passage to deal with marital issues, and, and that's fine, it's great. We're not looking at that this morning. But I want you to notice, Ephesians 5, it, he's actually giving us insight into the relationship of a husband and wife. But really what he's doing is he's teaching us the relationship between Christ and his church. Because notice what he says, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as, or in the same way, even as Christ is the head of the church. Do you see that? Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, let me say this. Christ is the head of the church in a practical sense. How is Christ the head of the church? And I'm not preaching about this this morning. We will go into this subject in detail next week. So I'd encourage you to be here next Sunday. In a because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't physically appear to me. Jesus doesn't physically appear to you. And if he has... Okay, um, we probably need to help you with some, you know, whatever drug problem you have or wh whatever. Because he, he doesn't, Jesus, the Bible is very clear. Jesus, the next time anyone sees Jesus is when we will all see him coming in the clouds. Amen. All right? No one sees Jesus. He doesn't appear today. The Bible is very clear about that. So he doesn't appear to me and say, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. So how does Jesus, in a practical sense, run his church? Here's how he does it, through his word. Okay, and we'll talk about that next week. Jesus is the Word. So when we talk about the fact that Jesus is the head of the church, what we could also say is that the Bible is the head of the church. Biblical authority of the local church. We'll talk about that next week in more detail. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is the head of the church. You're there in Ephesians. Go to the book of Colossians. You're going to go past Philippians into Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse number 18. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Some people go to Bible college and spend a lot of money to be taught the things that you're going to be taught over the next three weeks, okay? So I want to encourage you to just delve into this, learn it. Maybe you know it already. That's okay. You can be refreshed. We need to hear and rehear and learn and relearn these basic fundamental doctrines of the, of the Word of God. Sometimes they're so fundamental, I feel silly even talking about them. And then I realize there's people in our churches that have never maybe even heard these things or uh, have thought about them. So let's look at it together. Colossians 1 and verse number 18. Colossians 1.18. You went from Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1.18. Notice what the Bible says. And he, that's Jesus, again. I'm not going to read the whole chapter in his context. You can do that if you'd like. In fact, I'd encourage you to do that when you get home. 
But I want you to notice that he is Jesus Christ, okay? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And he is the head of the body. What's the body? Notice the church. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So it's very clear from Scripture. I mean, uh, I think it's pretty clear from what we've seen here that Jesus is the head of the church. So when we're talking about the authority structure of the church, what is that structure? It starts with the head, Jesus Christ. But there is a human element And there's a human leadership that comes under the authority of Christ, okay? You're there in Colossians. Uh, uh, I'd like you to go to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 5. Now, again, we're looking at a lot of scripture this morning, and it's kind of just a a, a Bible study. So here's what I need you to do. If you don't know where 1 Peter is, start at the end of the New Testament with the book of Revelation and head backwards. You're going to go past the book of Jude. It's one chapter. You're going to go past 3 and 2 John. They're one chapter each. You're going to go past 1 John. It's a small book. You're going to go past 2 Peter into 1 Peter. Okay, so if you start at the end, book of Revelation, head backwards, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter. I'd like you to look at 1st Peter chapter 5 and look at verse number 1. So we have Christ as the authority, the head of the church. But under Christ, there is additional authority or leadership, and it's human leadership, and it's the pastor, the elder, or the bishop, all right? In the Bible, these three terms are used interchangeably. They are referring to the same thing. I know there are people today who teach that a bishop is different than a pastor and is different than the elder. If you study the Bible on that, that is incorrect. They are used interchangeably. I don't have time to prove that this morning, but we can look at it later on. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says. The elders, okay, that's talking about a pastor, because a, a pastor is supposed to be spiritually mature. Now, I, I talked about this on Wednesday night. The Bible doesn't teach that a pastor can't be young because Paul, talking to Timothy, said, who was a pastor, said, let no man despise thy youth, all right? So Timothy is obviously a young man, young enough to where people might despise his youth. But the Bible teaches that a pastor is supposed to not be a novice. A pastor is supposed to not be a novice, meaning a pastor is supposed to be mature. A pastor is supposed to be grown up. There are people in our churches, in, in our type of churches today, who desire to be pastors, and yet they will never be a pastor because they're not mature, because they're immature, because they're novices, because they haven't read the Bible. They don't know what the Bible says. You can't even rebuke them without them throwing a fit. I mean, you can't. You know, they're not mature enough. To be a leader. You know, they can barely be a follower, and that's what the Bible teaches. You're supposed to be mature. You're supposed to be an elder. You're supposed to be not a novice, not a baby, not a crybaby. You're supposed to be mature. First Peter chapter 5, look at verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder. Notice Peter was a pastor, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory which shall be revealed. Notice what he tells pastors, verse 2. Feed the flock. That's talking about spiritually feeding them with the word of God. Feed the flock of God, which is among you. Notice what he says. Taking the oversight. You see that word oversight? Oversight means supervision. It means to rule. It means you are in charge. Taking the oversight thereof. Taking the oversight of what? Of the flock. What's the flock? The the, the congregation. He said, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not not, uh, for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Look at verse 3. Neither as being lords. Now, what's the word lord mean? The word lord means master or boss. Now, notice what he says. A pastor is not supposed to be a lord. He said, neither as being lord over God's heritage. See, when, when you get to pastor a church, or I get to pastor this church, this is not my church. These are not my people. These are God's people. Now, I will give an account. The Bible says, you know, that I will give an account for the things that happen in this church. So I need to take oversight. I need to rule over. I need to administer over. I need to make sure that what's going on here is honoring to God. But I'm not to be a lord over. I'm not to take constraint over. That's why I tell people all the time, look, if you have a problem with me, Go find another pastor. Go find another. No one says you got to be part of this flock. No one says you got to be part of this shepherd, right? You can go find, you know, because we're not supposed to be lords. 
You don't have to be, you know, you belong to me. You can't go. Look, I don't think we got the corner market on God. Now, look, you want to go to some other church? If they're preaching out of the right scriptures, if they're preaching out of the King James Bible, and they're going out soul winning, and they're right on salvation, hey, go for it. You know, if you want to go get bored with all sorts of lame sermons that churches are preaching today, go get bored and go get backslidden. You don't have to be part of this group, but listen to me. God says that in the church, it is the elder that is to take oversight, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. That's why, that's why you always see Pastor Jimenez at Saturday morning soul winning. You know why? Because that's our number one soul winning time, so I'm supposed to be an example to you. That's why you always see Pastor Jimenez at Sunday night church, at Wednesday night church, whether I'm preaching or not. Why? Because I'm supposed to be an example to you. I'm supposed to be an example to you. My life is supposed to be lived in a way where I lead through influence, but not through constraint, all right? But God gives this position of a pastor, of an elder, of a bishop. Keep your place there in 1 Peter. We're going to come back to it, so make sure to put a ribbon, put a bookmark for something in 1 Peter. Go to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20. Look at verse 17. God has ordained human leadership, a pastor, an elder, a bishop. By the way, there are other positions in the church. We're not going to go into uh, this morning, but there's a deacon and there's an evangelist. Both of those positions are mentioned within the local New Testament church. They are not the leader. A deacon comes under the authority of a pastor. An evangelist comes under the authority of a pastor. But the pastor is supposed to rule. That's a word, biblical word that the Bible uses. He's supposed to take oversight over the flock. Acts chapter 20. Look at verse 17. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. Notice what, what Paul said in the book of Acts. He's getting ready to leave the, first, the, book of, uh, the church at Ephesus. Notice what he says. Acts 20, 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. You see that? So he calls the pastors, the elders of the church, and he, he tells them many things. We're going to skip a lot of it for sake of time. I just want you to notice what he says in verse 28 to the elders of the church. Acts 20 and verse 28. Notice what he says. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. What's he telling them? You worry about yourself. Make sure you are what you need to be. Make sure you are where you need to be. And to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you. Notice this word. Overseers. You see that? over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer, supervisor, in charge of, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Here's what I want you to notice. According to the Bible, according to the Bible, Christ is the head of the church. And then underneath Christ, there is human leadership, which is the pastor, the elder, the bishop. Underneath the pastor, you have deacons and evangelists. If a church grows to the place where they need those, the church at Jerusalem um, brought on seven deacons when they were running like 7,000. All right? So I don't think every church has to have deacons. I don't think there's anything wrong with having deacons. When a church gets to the place where it's grown to the place where it needs that help, that's fine. But it's not required. But I do want you to understand something. What is required is a pastor, and God has ordained human leadership. God has ordained, because listen to me, today, please please understand this, today there is an attack on the position of a pastor. Today there is an attack on the position of a pastor. From all fronts, you've got groups today that say, we don't want to, we don't have to go, because here's what happens, these, these, these church members get backslidden, and they have a man of God that actually has a backbone, and actually has some hair on his legs, and he rebukes them sharply. And they're like, I don't want to go to church. That pastor was mean. So then they go, so then they go and they start these little home churches where they all sit around a, a couch, you know, and it's all these backslidden ex-IFBs, right? They're all just sitting around a couch with their coffee, studying the Bible, and every, every passage they look at, it's like, you don't need to tithe, you don't need a pastor, you don't need a church. Listen to me. If there's no pastor, it's not a church. If there's no man of God there who meets the qualifications of, uh, of Scripture. And here's another thing. Today, people have moved away from the qualifications of a pastor. You know, God gave us entire chapters in the Bible about what it means to be a man of God. And the qualifications that you have. And today, people just want to ignore those. They just want to act like those don't exist. Well, listen, at Verity Baptist Church, we don't do that. If we ever send the guy out, he won't meet those qualifications. We'll make them. <laughs> Or we won't send them out, you know. And today, but you got groups of people. Let's just meet in our house. Let's just meet in our living room. Let's just all get together and have a little Bible study. And let's talk, you know, smack about the church we left because we're mad because we can't get rebuked. And they, they start the little Bible studies. And then here's the thing. But here's the question. Where's the pastor? 
We're, we're all the pastor. Listen to me. In the Bible, it's follow me. It's not follow we. Jesus didn't come to his disciples and say, hey, follow we. No, he said, follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. There's human leadership. God has ordained human leadership. And when there is no leader, when, 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 they're, when they're all leaders, there's no leader. When everybody's a boss, there is no boss. That's why some of you have terrible marriages, because your wife thinks she's the boss, you think you're the boss, and none of you are the boss. And really, probably your wife is the boss. Because whenever the, the husband, you know, whenever the wife thinks like it's 50-50, it's not 50-50. It's she runs the show, and the husband goes along with it. It's true. There has to be human leadership in the church, in the family, in government. God has ordained all of these things. And God ordained in the church a pastor, an elder, a bishop as a human. He says, follow me. He's not follow we. There, there are other positions. And here's what I need you to understand. This is under attack. Today, people want to attack the position of a pastor Today, people, you know, uh, want to, you, and we talked about it on Wednesday night, so I'm not going to preach that sermon again. But the Bible talks about, hey, you know the Bible says that when you have a problem with a pastor, you're supposed to go to him, not go around and tell everybody else. And the Bible says when you go to him, you're supposed to do it respectfully. The Bible says rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. You're not supposed to just God, rebuke him. No, no. He said, well, he's a bad pastor. Because people call me all the time. My pastor, he preaches bad. He preaches, he's not. Listen to me. You're supposed to respect the position of a pastor. Paul said, I magnify my office. If you can't respect the man, then go find a man you can't respect. But you ought to always respect the position of a pastor. And you know, the problem with our movement and our type of churches is that we've taught people today that it's okay to be disrespectful to a pastor. Look, you may not like him. You may not agree with him. You may think you're smarter than him. But you ought to respect the position of a pastor. And we better make sure that we raise our children to be respectful to any man that carries the title of a pastor. You can disagree with him. You can take a stand against him. And if another man of God wants to fight with another man of God, you stay out of that. But I'm talking to church members. I'm talking about these little 18-year-olds getting up on YouTube and want to rebuke every pastor. Why don't you go read your Bible? Why don't you get to the place where we can actually have some respect for what you have to say? Because the pastor is supposed to meet certain qualifications. The pastor, and there's an attack today on the position of a pastor. Today, everybody just wants to attack pastors. Everybody just wants to criticize pastors. Now, look, if a pastor's wrong, let another man of God deal with that. It's interesting how when Peter was wrong, Paul confronted him, not Timothy. It's interesting how when Peter was wrong, it's interesting how when Barnabas was wrong, Paul confronted him, not Titus. Paul confronted him, not Mark. And, you know, please don't let, it, don't let me find out that we've got any church people going on YouTube and attacking pastors. Because you're, you're going to have a pastor attack you. Because there's an attack on a position of leadership today. There's an attack on the position of... You think, you, you say, well, should men of God, should, when men go wrong, should they not be rebuked? I think they should be rebuked by another pastor, not you. By another man of God, not you. By another person that meets the qualifications of a leader, not you. And when you've read your Bible two and a half times, you don't meet those qualifications. When you've been saved for two weeks, you don't meet those qualifications. When you, when you get offended because I get up here and preach, you don't meet those qualifications. You got to grow up. You got to quit being a novice to get to that place. Because here's what I want you to understand. It's not a church unless there's a pastor. You don't have to turn there. Titus 1.5 says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. No, just listen to this. This is what Paul told Titus. And ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So a little group of disgruntled church members meeting in a living room is not a church. Unless there's a pastor. And by the way, that pastor needs to have been sent out by a local church. Everything brings forth after its kind. That's what the Bible teaches. You get ordained because you are sent out of church. You don't leave a church disgruntled and then go start a church in your little trailer park or wherever, in your little apartment complex. That's not a church. Now, people ask me, well, if, uh, if, there's no, if there's no pastor, does that mean it's not true? Look, I, I, I do think there are some exceptions. Obviously, God wants us to use common sense. Look, if I drop dead tomorrow, Mary Baptist Church no longer exists because there's no pastor. Well, no, obviously not. Obviously, but well, what do you need to do? You need to go find a pastor. You need to go find someone to take on the, the leadership here because here's what I will tell you. When there is no pastor, the church will die. 
when there is not somebody who's taking charge, who's preaching the sermons, who's watching over the flock, any church will die. So it's not a church unless there's a pastor. And obviously, if a pastor dies, or like if a pastor is in sin, you know, there, there are pastors that will be stealing from the church or committing adultery. They obviously need to be removed. That doesn't mean our church no longer exists. Find another pastor. Do it as quickly as possible. But when, you just, when these churches have, like, they, they don't have a pastor for, like, years, they cease to be churches. People quit going there. They're no longer uh, reaching people. The candlestick is removed. So um, you're there in Acts. Go to Acts 17. Let me just give you one more thing on this authority structure. Acts 17. So we have the, the structure of a, of a church. You got Jesus as the head. You got the pastor or the elder bishop, whatever you want to call him. And then underneath him, there are deacons and there are evangelists. And I'm not talking about that this morning. You can study that out on your own. But then there's the flock or the congregation. Now, let me say this. The congregation is to be a group of knowledgeable followers. The congregation is to be a group of knowledgeable followers. Acts 17, look at verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word. They received the word with all readiness of mind. Notice, they don't have a bad attitude. They're ready to receive the word. They're ready to hear the man of God preach the Bible to them. But then notice what else they did. And search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Here's what you're not supposed to be as a church member. Just this mindless, you know, whatever the pastor says, that's what we do. Listen to me, that is a cult. When you just follow, people, sometimes people say, man, Pastor Jimenez, he gets up there and preaches hard, and he, he yells sometimes, and he's kind of angry. That place must be a cult. But listen to me, you know why we're not a cult? Because everything, everything I preach, I do my best to just prove it from the Word of God. Because this is the boss, not me. Because the Word of God is the boss, not me. You know, and, and here's the thing, if I don't prove something from the Bible, then ignore it. If I just tell you something and I don't prove it from the Word of God, then ignore it. And if that happens too much, then go somewhere else where they will teach you the Bible. But here's the thing. When people, church members, they don't want to take responsibility. They just want the pastor to tell them. And just listen to me very carefully. If, if you have a family member or you have a friend and they tell you, why do you do, you know, fill in the blank, X, Y, and Z? Why, why do you dress that way? Or why do you do that? Or why do you believe that? And your answer to them is, well, that's just what pastor says. Wrong answer. You're wrong. And you never heard that from this pulpit. You say, what, what, is, what are you supposed to do? Well, look at Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and, and search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. See, the missing ingredient in church membership today is daily Bible reading. Notice what it doesn't say. He doesn't say, and search YouTube daily, whether those things were so. He doesn't say, and search Facebook daily, whether those things were so. He doesn't say, and search the radio daily, whether... He says, search the scriptures daily. So what what do you have? Look, here's when church gets good. When you got a good a group of people who spend all day searching the scriptures, searching the scriptures, searching the scriptures, and you got a pastor, a man of God, who spends every day searching the scriptures, searching the scriptures, searching the scriptures, and everybody aligns himself to this book. The head, the boss, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the authority structure of a church. Well, my pastor said that we were supposed to, you know, Brother Stucky, don't go to Guyana and drink the Kool-Aid. All right? <laughs> It's not, that's not authority. I know, he would never do it. He would never do it. I'm just kidding. But here's the point. You can't just follow a man blindly. You've got to, uh, he's got to prove his points from the word of God, and then you've got to search the scripture. Now, you're not supposed to have that attitude about it. They received the word with all readiness of mind. They were ready to receive it. They wanted to hear it. They didn't have it. It's so funny how people like, they, you know, let me explain something to you. The, the Bible teaches a concept called discernment. And the Bible teaches about a concept called discretion. You know that you don't have to come to church. It's funny how people come to church and it's like, we always know. We know when you're fighting with your wife. Because you're, you're both of you walking. <laughs> how you doing, brother? Not so good about it. <laughs> we know when you're mad with the pastor. Hey, how you doing, brother? It's called discretion. It's, it's called just, why, why don't you just not tell everybody you're in the flesh and you're carnal and you're immature and why don't you just put a smile on your face and say, hey, everything's going great. And if you don't like it, then leave. I don't like what pastor preached, then go somewhere else. I don't like what pastor said, then find another pastor. 
Fix your face or find another church. But I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. And people, people are like, Pastor, are you upset? No, I've, just, I've, I've, lo- I've ran out of patience with this idea of attacking the pastor and openly being against the pastor. If you don't like this pastor, I'll help you find another one. I'll help you. I won't be mad at you. Go somewhere else. The Bible says that you're supposed to come to church ready to receive the word with all readiness of mind. And see, people don't like, see, people don't like it because they, they, if I just said that, they like it because then they can attack it. But then when we attach it to the Bible, now they're like, ah. Ah. Receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily, whether it's things or so. So there's an authority structure. There's an authority structure. It's the head. It's the pastor. I know today people say, ah, we, you don't need a pastor. No, you do need a pastor. That's what the Bible says. It's deacons and evangelists if the church gets to the point where you need it. And it's a group of believers that is knowledgeable in the word of God. It is not just blindly following a man. They are receiving the word with all readiness of mind and searching the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. If you don't like what I say, then why don't you search the scriptures daily and prove me wrong? That's, a, that's, a, that's a novice idea there. So we talked about the authority structure of the local church. But let's talk about this. Go Keep your place in Acts, okay? So here's what you should. You should have your place in 1 Peter, and you should have your place in Acts, okay? Because we're going to come back to both of those. Go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Has it become extremely clear to you that I'm not that interested in building a big church? Pastor, if you preach this way, people are going to leave. Some people need to leave. Well, you're never going to build a church. I think we just read that Jesus said he was going to build his church. So I don't really feel the need to have to build a church. Well, aren't you going to feel like a failure? I will feel like a failure if I don't preach the word of God. That's what will make me feel like a failure. If people show up to hear me preach, great. And if they don't, hey, that's, that's not my business. That's Jesus' business. Psalm 22, look at verse 22. Psalm, and some of you need to just grow up to the place where you can take a rebuke from a pastor. You know why Pastor Menace gets to get up here and preach the way he does it? Because he had pastors that rebuked him. You know that? You don't believe me? Ask my dad. <laughs> don't believe me? Ask my sister. They're all here. You know, there was men of God in my life that told me, you're wrong, your attitude is wrong, and they rebuked me. And you know what I didn't do? Yeah, I'm so, so upset. I said, okay, maybe I'm wrong. And I grew, and I matured, and I fixed my face. I'm glad that I, I'm not telling you you need to go to the military. I wouldn't advise the military. But I'm glad I went to the military, and I was in boot camp for eight years, where I had a T.I. yelling at me saying, fix your face. Fix your face. What's wrong? Aren't you happy? And I'm like, no, I'm starving. <laughs> it helped me with the ministry. Because, you know, sometimes I just have to walk into this room and just fix my face. And things are falling apart. And I just smile. And I just say God is good. And I just use discretion and discernment. It's called being mature. It's called not being a novice. It's called not being a baby. Psalm 22, look at verse 22. We talked about the, atto- the authority of structure of the local church, the authority structure of the local church. Number two, let's talk about the autonomy of the local church. The autonomy. I already ran out of time, but that's okay. The autonomy of the local church. Psalm 22, look at verse 22. Let's define what a church is according to the Bible. Psalm 22, verse 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I want you to notice that word congregation. Will I praise thee? Why did I have you turn to that verse? Because that verse is quoted in the New Testament, okay? Here's what I want you to remember. In the midst of the congregation, in the midst of the congregation, will I praise thee. Some of you are like, I liked it better when Brother Stuckey preached. <laughs> yeah, he preached a good sermon. In the midst of the congregation, will I praise thee. Although he did say on Sunday that he would get mad if your phone went off, okay? So he's not that nice. In the midst of the congregation, I show grace. Will I sing praise unto thee, okay? Psalm 22, 22. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Now, did you keep your place in First Peter? If you kept your place in 1 Peter, then go backwards from 1 Peter. Keep your place there. We're going to come right back to it. But go from 1 Peter, go backwards. You're going to go past James into Hebrews, okay? Because in Hebrews 2.12, this psalm is quoted. Psalm 22, verse 22. Most people say, Pastor, why do you preach like this? You know, you know, honestly, I don't plan to. It's just the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me. <laughs> Hebrews 2.12. Saying. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Now notice the quote. In the midst of the, not congregation, notice what he says, church. 
In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. Psalm 22, 22, in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Hebrews 2, 12, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. All right, why am I showing that? Because in the Old Testament, he said congregation. In the New Testament, that was quoted as church. What does that mean? Here's what that means. The word church equals congregation. That's what, the church, that's what the word church means. Notice we didn't open a dictionary. We didn't go to a commentary. We just let the Bible define itself. What is a church? It's a congregation. What is a church? It, it, it's a congregation. Go to Acts chapter number 7. Did you keep your place in Acts? Remember you're supposed to keep your place in Acts? Or did I not tell you that? Okay, did I? Okay, good. Acts chapter 7. Look at verse 37. I'm going to cut some of this out because we're running out of time. Acts chapter 7, verse 37. While you go there, while you turn there, let me read it to you out of Exodus 16. Exodus 16 says this, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, of the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. Look at verse 2. Oh, you're not looking at it. Let's just, I'll read it for you. Exodus 16, 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses. It's not new, right? And Aaron, notice what he says, in the wilderness. Okay, so in Exodus 16, we're told the whole congregation was in the wilderness. Wilderness. Acts 7, look at verse 37. This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you and your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. Verse 38. This is he that was in the church. Notice, in the wilderness. Well, Acts 16 says it was the congregation in the wilderness. Acts 7 says it was the church in the wilderness. Why? Because the church is a congregation. Okay, I just want you to understand that. According to the Bible, a church is a congregation. What's a congregation? It's a gathering or an assembly of people. This is not a church. This building is not a church. These walls and the paint, the, the, the chairs, they're not a church. The church is you. The church is me. It's when we gather together, it's when we congregate together, that is a church. Therefore, therefore, a church must be local. A church has to be local. You don't have to turn there, but in Revelation 1.10, the Bible says, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, he said this, I am Alpha and Omega. This is Jesus speaking in Revelation. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and last. And what thou seest, he's talking to John, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Why don't you notice that there were seven local Congregations, you say, why are you, making, why are you saying that? Here's why I'm saying that. Today there are those who teach this concept of the universal church. We are all part of the church. All believers are part of the church. Therefore, I can skip out on church for six months, and I'm still part of the church because I'm part of this universal church. There's no such thing in the Bible. You cannot find that concept in Scripture. One day we will all be part of the general assembly of the church in heaven when, we, when all believers are raptured up and we are all congregated together in heaven. Then there will be the church. Until then, there's Verity Baptist Church in Sacramento. There's a church down the street. There's a church in Texas. There's a church in Arizona. There's wherever. wherever. Here's what I want you to understand. A church must be visible. There's no such thing as an invisible universal church. It's impossible because by definition, the word church means congregation. How are you congregated with every believer on earth? You're not. You're congregated with however many believers we have in this room right now. We are a church right now. And in a little bit, some of you are going to go to Hometown Buffet. Some of you are going to go to, you know, Golden Corral. Some of you are going to go to Jack in the Box. And we're not going to be congregated anymore. We won't be a church. You know, instead of saying welcome to church, what we should say is welcome to this meeting of this church. Because we are meeting and congregating. It is a congregation. So there is no such thing as a universal church. There is no such thing as an invisible church. When people say, oh, I'm part of the church, the, the, the church, the global church of believers, there's no such thing in the Bible. Because a church, by a biblical definition, is a congregation. And a congregation, by any logic, must be local and must be visible. Must be local and must be visible. Did, you keep, did I ask you to keep your place in Psalms? No. no? Good night. All right, go to Psalms. <laughs> go to Psalms, and then, but I don't want you in Psalms. Actually, go to Job. Just go to Job, just real quickly. Man, Job. 
Today, today there is a denominational structure of churches. Today there is a denominational structure of churches where local churches are combined into a bigger organization generally called a denomination. Who, who knows what I'm talking about when I say denomination? Everybody, okay, let me give you an example. I'll give you lots of examples so, none of, so either none of you gets offended or all of you get offended, okay? So, like, here's an example of a denomination, the Roman Catholic Church, okay? You have local Catholic churches in Sacramento and different places, okay? But all those churches are not independent of each other. They are all organized under a structure, right, that has a headquarters called Vatican City, in Italy, right? And their orders come down through that structure. It's not just the Catholic Church, you know, pick whatever church, whatever church you want to pick, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses have a structure, the Mormons have a structure, some Baptists have structures, like the Southern Baptist Convention has a structure, okay, where all the churches are organized under that structure. Now, you are sitting in what's called an independent church, okay? We are an independent Baptist church. What that means is we are not part of any denomination. We're not part of any convention. We're not part of any fellowship. Okay? There, you don't like my preaching. There's no one you can call to complain. <laughs> Except me. <laughs> you know, you say, well, what do we do if we don't like it? You leave. Have, have I made that clear? There's no, there's no superintendent. There's no boss. Okay? My boss is the, the word of God. Okay, but in the denominational world, there is a head that is not Christ. There is a head, his name is the Pope. There is a head, his name is the President. There is a head, maybe it's a board of directors, maybe it's a board of elders, maybe it's a board of bishops, maybe it's whatever. But the local churches are given marching orders and are under the authority of someone above them. Now, scripturally, what is the authority scripture, uh, the authority structure of a church that we saw from the Bible? You got Jesus, you got the pastor, you got the deacons and evangelists, if you need them, and then you've got the congregation, right? I'm putting you guys rolled now. You're right there, okay? <laughs> the congregation, the deacons, the pastors, the deacons, the evangelists, the pastors, and then you got the church, the, the, the head, which is Jesus Christ. But in a denominational structure, you've got the congregation, maybe you have deacons, you've got a pastor, but then above the pastor, you've got an archbishop, or you've got a board of directors, or you've got a pope, or a prophet, or a president, or an apostle, whatever they want to call them. But that guy tells the local guys what to do. Okay, so here's the question. In a Catholic church or a Presbyterian church or a Lutheran church or whatever church you want to use as an example that doesn't offend you, is the head of that local church the Word of God? The answer is no. Because the Pope tells them what to do, not the Word of God. In fact, the Pope, in the Catholic church, the Pope speaks for God is what they believe. Mormons teach that their prophet speaks for God. You know, and, and a lot of these churches, it's the Pope, it is these board of directors, it is these people that direct it, okay? Now you say, well, what, what's wrong with that? I'll explain to you what's wrong with that. Are you there in Job 1? Look at verse 7. Notice what God said to uh, Job, and I, I'm, I, I've ran out of time, okay? So here's, what I, here's my commitment to you. I will preach the rest of this sermon, and I'm not going to charge you overtime, okay? I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You don't pay me overtime, okay? Job 1, look at verse 7. Job 1, look at verse 7. Job 1.7. Are you there? Job 1.7. And the Lord said unto Satan, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Now I want you to notice what Satan said. Then Satan answered. Then Satan answered. Uh, th- then Satan answered the Lord and said, Notice what Satan said. From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Okay? Why don't you notice what Satan said? The Lord said, where are you coming from? He said, I'm going to and fro from the earth and walking up and down in it. Look at Job 2 and verse 2. Job 2 and verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, from whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Did you keep your place in 1 Peter? Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Notice what Peter says about the devil. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. I want you to notice what it says about the devil. Walketh about. Do you see that? Walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Here's what I want you to know. Satan 
God, let me say this, God is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means he's everywhere at once. God is with us here today. And at the same time, he's with all other churches that are meeting with us at the same time. And when we all leave and you go to Hometown Buffet and you go to Golden Corral and you go whatever, he'll go with you because he's omnipresent. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That, that's, that's what it means. That's one of the characteristics of God, that God is everywhere at once. He's omni, meaning everywhere, present, meaning he's present with you at all places. God is meeting with us right now. God has no problem with meeting with other churches at the same time. If there's a local New Testament church down the street, he can be here and he can be there at the same time. Satan, on the other hand, cannot. He walketh about like you and I. As a roaring lion, okay? So here's the thing. If Satan wants to attack Verity Baptist Church, guess what he has to do? He has to come to Verity Baptist Church. And if Satan wants to attack Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona, he has to go to Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona. And if he wants to attack, you know, Steadfast Baptist Church in Fort Worth or Old Pass Baptist, whatever church, if he wants to attack a church, he has to go. He can't attack us and also attack another church at the same time because he's not omnipresent. He says, the Bible says that he walketh to and fro, that he walketh about. See, so, see, Satan had a problem because he had all these local churches starting up. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he brought these disciples and they went out into the world. They turned the world upside down. They, Paul began to establish local churches throughout the, the entire world. And Satan said, man, this is just taking me a long time. To, I have to attack this church and I have to attack this church and I have to attack this church. And here's what he said. He said, it would make it easier for me. It would make it easier for me if I could group all these churches together and run them from the top. See, if Satan wants to attack the Catholic Church, he doesn't have to go to St. John's and, you know, Sacramento and this one and that one. He just has to go to the Vatican, attack the Pope, get the Pope to do whatever he wants, and then the Pope, which is the head of that church, tells everybody else what to do. Do you understand that? That is the problem with denominations, is that there is a head, but it's not Christ. The problem with denominations is that this denominational structure unites churches, groups churches. So now he doesn't have to attack every Catholic church, every Baptist church, every Jehovah's Witness. He just has to attack the headquarters of the Jehovah's Witness, the headquarters of the Mormons, the headquarters of the Presbyterians, the headquarters of the Lutherans, the headquarters of Catholics, and then he can attack hundreds of churches in that process. But we are structured as an independent Baptist church, and we will never be anything but an independent Baptist church. We will never go under the authority of anybody. Why? Because Jesus established local autonomous, meaning self-governing churches. We govern ourselves here at Ready Baptist Church. You know what that also means? It also means we're on our own. There's no, no daddy is going to bail us out. Anything that's done here is done through this group. We want to remodel this building? We got to do it. Right? We, 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 if there's anything that's got to be done, we want to send missionaries, we got to do it. Okay, there's no denomination above us that's taking care of us or holding a net underneath us. We are on our own, but we say, why do you do that? Because that is the local church. And then people say this, well, then what is, what is the, the checks and balances? You know, what if the pastor gets out of control? Well, as a church, you can get together and throw me out or whoever out. And you say, well, I'm the only one that's upset. Then get right with God. <laughs> Or I'm the only one upset, then you can leave. Right? Those are the checks and balances. I mean, if I'm pastoring a church and I'm being mean, I'm being angry, and I'm preaching all these sermons, and it's just me, my, my beautiful wife, my loving children, and then like one usher, okay, then I'm going to step back and say, man, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Right? But if I keep being mean and preaching hard and people keep coming, then I think, well, then God's working. <laughs> then God's building it. Then God's doing it. It's not me. There's nothing impressive about me, right? You don't have to say it right. Okay. <laughs> go, go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Acts, Romans. If you kept your place in Acts, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. If you kept your place in Acts, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Acts chapter 1. What's wrong with the denominational structure? Here's what's wrong with the denominational structure. It eases the work of Satan. It makes it easy for him to be the puppet master that just controls them all. Okay, what's wrong with the denominational structure? It promotes the ecumenical movement. Now, you say, well, what in the world is the ecumenical movement? Here's the ecumenical movement in a, in a nutshell. This movement that teaches 
that all churches should just unite together. We should put all our differences aside. You know, you believe this, I believe that. Let's not worry about that. Let's just get all get together, okay? It's the Billy Graham Crusades. Let's all get together. Let's just all churches unite for the gospel. Let's all unite, okay? The ecumenical movement today that teaches forget about doctrine, forget about differences, let's not talk about the things that divide us, let's all get together. Now you may ask, well, what's wrong with that? Okay, well, there's two things that are wrong with that, and I'll show them both of you from the Word of God. Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 6. We got we to gotta, we gotta just do this, okay? Galatians 1, 6, look at what it says. I marvel, Galatians 1, 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto, notice what he says, another gospel. Listen to me, not all churches are preaching the same gospel. He says that there is another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Yesterday I was out sewing. My wife and I were out sewing. I was talking to this 20-year-old young man, very nice young man, respectful young man, grew up in the Jehovah's Witness Church. I started giving him the gospel. I started asking him, you know, do you know for sure that day you go to heaven? He said to me, I don't believe in hell. He said, well, the Bible teaches hell. Can I show you that from the Bible? Showed him he was a sinner. I showed him the, the wages for sin is death. I told him that there's a second death hell. I, I showed him from the Bible. He said, well, I don't think people spend eternity there. I took him to a verse that said, shall be tormented day and night forever and ever, talking about hell. He's like, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. I said, I said, do you believe in Jesus? He said, I don't believe Jesus is God. I don't believe in the Trinity. I showed him, you know, the Bible says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, these three are one. I showed him in John 1 where it says the Word was made uh, of flesh. It says uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, he says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I showed him, look, the Word is Jesus here. The, the, he became flesh. He dwelt among us as of the only begotten of the Father. I said, who's the begotten of the Father? He said, Jesus. I said, the Word is Jesus. Here it says the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Trinity. I showed him, 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. He said, I've never seen that before. I said, according to this, is Jesus God? He said, yeah. Now listen to me. He goes to a church that teaches them that Jesus is not God. He goes to a church that teaches them that there is no hell. He go, I'm not mad at him. I love him. That's why I went and knocked on his door. I could have gone gardening. I could have gone bowling. I could have gone done anything. But I went and knocked on his door. Why? Because I want to give him the gospel. But am I supposed to then unite with the Jehovah's Witness or unite? I'm not mad at them. I don't hate them. I think it's a false religion. I don't hate the Jehovah's Witness people. I think we need to get with them to Christ. It, it, but if there's a church that teaches salvation is not by grace but by works, you've got to repent of your sins to be saved. You can lose your salvation based on the things that you do. You've got to get baptized to go to heaven. You've got to speak in tongues to go to heaven. If they are teaching a gospel that is different than our gospel, does the Bible tell us to unite together? Let's just all get together. Let's rent out Arco Arena. Let's bring in Joyce Myers. Let's just have a big old, you know, hoorah for God all together. Is that what it says? Are you there in Galatians 1? Number 7. Which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel. Notice what he says. Preach any other gospel unto you that, that, uh, unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Notice what he says. Let him be accursed. Whoa. Paul? I don't think Paul would have been going to the prayer breakfast. You know, with all these, this ecumenical prayer. I get emails every, every month in Sacramento. All the pastors want to get together. When the whole Orlando thing was going down, they invited me. We want to talk with you. I said, I, I will go there if I get to preach. You let me preach and we'll talk. You know, but, you know, are we supposed to? No, no, when you preach another gospel, hey, let him be a curse is what the Bible says. We're not supposed to unite together. Look at verse 9. And we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto, uh, unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. I'm just trying to tell you, God does not ever tell us, God does not ever tell us to join forces with people that don't believe the same thing we do. We're not mad at them. We want to win them to Christ. But the denominational structure it bring, has brought about this ecumenical movement where everybody says, let's just all get together. Let's all hold hands. Let's all sing Kumbaya. It's fine. Why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? Hey, this, this uniting of churches, you say, what's the problem? Go to Revelation 13. We're, we're almost done. Revelation 13. Revelation 13. We're, we're done. That's the last place we'll look at. Revelation 13. Look at verse 8. Say, what's wrong with the denominations? What's wrong with the ecumenical movement? I want to get together. I want to go listen to Joyce Myers. I want to do this. I want to do that. Hey, you, you know, you do whatever you want. I'm just saying, as a church, we're not going to gather together. We will fellowship with other churches of faith, of like faith and practice. 
They believe like we do? Praise the Lord. We'll, we'll unite forces. We'll, we'll send our missionary to Guyana with other churches that believe the same way, and we will win people for Christ in Guyana. We're not against working together, but we're not going to work together with people that preach another gospel. Because Paul said, hey, don't join forces. Let them be accursed. Don't, don't join forces. There's no ecumenical movement in the Bible. Revelation 13, look at verse 8. What's the problem? Revelation 13, 8. Look what it says. And all, and all that dwelt upon the earth shall worship him. Who's the him there? That's the Antichrist. You know that there's coming a one world religion? There's coming a... See, here's the end game for Satan and the Antichrist. Unite the entire world under a one world religion. Well, look, before they can unite the entire world, before they can unite Christians, so-called Christians, and Muslims, and Hindu, and all those religions, they've got to first unite all the Christians. Well, before they can unite all the Christians, they've got to deny, unite all the Baptists. So let's start a convention called the Southern Baptist Convention. We'll bring them all together. We'll get them all to become apostates. And then it'll be easier, and then let's get all the Catholics together, let's get all the Lutherans together, let's get all the Mormons together, let's get all the Jehovah's Witnesses together, and then once we've got them all together, then we'll try to bring them together. Ecumenical movement. Let's not, you know, and listen to me very carefully, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, okay? I'm really not. But today, you, you, you get this buzzword, you know, non-denominational. And it's a lie. It's a lie. Basically, oh, we're non-denominational. They're lying to you. There's a church, when we were over on Northgate, there was a church that was right across the street from us down the way. The name of the church was The Crossing. Oh, and they were the non-denominational church. You know, everyone's welcome. We're not part of the denomination, except for the fact that they're part of the Church of the Nazarene. And the Church of the Nazarene is giving them a million dollars to build their building. And when you get their little mailers... The, the postage is paid by the Church of Nazarene. So are you mad? I'm not mad at them. I just, I just think not telling. You know, let me explain something to you about, about lying. You know that the Bible says about the devil that there is no truth in him? Who knows what I'm talking about? The Bible says there's no truth in him. There's no truth. But you know what's interesting about that? When you study everything the devil says in the Bible, you know that everything he says has some truth in it? I mean, from the Garden of Eden to the temptation of Christ... Everything he says is taking truth and twisting it. Jesus says there's no truth in him. You know what that means? When you give a half-truth, you're still lying. When you accuse a pastor and just give a half-truth, you're a liar. Jesus, he gave Jesus a half-truth, but Jesus said there's no truth in him. And when these churches say, we're not, we're just, we're non-denominational. Oh, really? I thought you were Nazarene. Well, we are, but, you know, we just want people to come in. See, you want to know the truth? You're sitting in a non-denominational church. You say, I thought you were Baptist. Yeah, but we're not part of any denomination. We take the name Baptist because it identifies what we believe, and we'll talk about that in the third week of this series. And, and you know, you got the, the Capital Christian Center, the big, you know, fun center church. Everybody, let's get together. It's great. Hey, listen, but here's the thing. You look them up in the phone book, they come under the Assemblies of God. Is that a denomination? Why don't, you know, why don't they say that? Here's what I'm saying. This non-denominational stuff is a bunch of garbage. It's all, it's all together. It's all the same. It's all bringing everyone together to unite the churches under a local church. Now, let me just finish with this, all right? We started the sermon by saying this, okay? Who founded the local New Testament church? Who's paying attention? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? I will build my church, right? And, and who is the head of the church? Who's the head of the church? The Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, so let me say this. If a church has a founder, and it's not Jesus, or if a church has a headquarters, you know what the word head, what, do, what does headquarters mean? It means that's where the boss is, right? That's where the, rule, that's where the orders come from. If a church has a headquarters, you know why it's called headquarters? Because if that place has the head, then Jesus is not the head. I mean, does that make sense? If there's a founder, then Jesus is not the founder. If there's a headquarters, then Jesus is not the head. Okay, I just want to I just want to help you understand, you know what what. So I, I did some research, and this is what I found: the Roman Catholic Church is headquartered in Vatican City, Italy. Okay, so if the headquarters are in Italy, is Jesus the head? It was founded by Constantine the Great, a Roman emperor. If it was founded by Constantine the Great, was it founded by Jesus? No, the Presbyterian Church is headquartered in Louisville, Kentucky, here in the United States. 
So if Louisville, Kentucky is the headquarters, is Jesus the head? No. It was founded by a man named John Calvin. If John Calvin is a founder, then did Jesus, was Jesus a founder? No. The Lutheran Church, headquartered here in the United States, in Chicago, Illinois. If the headquarters are in Chicago, then is Jesus the head? No. It was founded by a man named Martin Luther. If Martin Luther was a founder, then was Jesus the founder? No. The Episcopalian Church, headquartered here in the United States, in New York City, New York. If New York City is the head, then is Jesus the head? No. It was founded by a man named Henry VIII, a king of England. If he was a founder, then did Jesus, was Jesus a founder? No. The Seventh-day Adventists are headquartered in Silver Springs, Maryland. If the headquarters are in Silver Springs, Maryland, is Jesus the head? No. It was founded by a woman named Ellen G. White. If she's a founder, was Jesus a founder? No. The Methodists, here in the, the Methodists are split up into many things, but the biggest Methodist movement is called the United Methodist uh, Church. Um, they're, they're the biggest. They all attribute their foundation to a man named John Wesley. If John Wesley was a founder, uh, is, he, is Jesus the founder? No. You know, they're, they're a little more sneaky about it because the United Methodist is so big. They're in different countries. They divide the Methodist church into like four parts in the U.S., different parts of the world. But every one of those parts has a headquarter. So if they have a headquarter, do, is Jesus the head? No. The Jehovah's Witnesses were, are headquartered in Brooklyn, New York. If Brooklyn, New York is the head, is Jesus the head? No. They were founded by a man named Charles Taze Russell. If Charles Taze Russell is the founder, is Jesus the founder? No, the Latter-day Saints or the Mormon Church are headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah. If Salt Lake City, Utah is the headquarters, is Jesus the head? No, they were founded by a man named Joseph Smith. If they were founded by Joseph Smith, then did G was Jesus the founder of that church? No. Let me ask you a question. See if we can test your, your history. The Lutherans were started by Martin Luther. The Calvinists are from John Calvin. Who started the Baptist church? Is there a guy? Well, there's John the Baptist, you know, but is there, is there a guy, you know, well, there was this founder. There's no founder to Baptist, and I'm skipping ahead to my third week. We'll go into a little bit of Baptist history, but here's the point I'm trying to make. If you can trace your church back to a man, then your church is made by a man. A scriptural church will have Jesus as the head. Now, I started Very Baptist Church. We started six and a half years ago. We started in our living room. But when we started, we started with the Word of God as the authority. I don't just get to do whatever I want. I have to prove everything from here. Now, when it comes to this, I can say whatever I want as long as I prove it from here. That's what some of you don't like, right? You know, because there's a lot in here that people don't like. But I don't just get to decide, like, ah, oh, forget the Bible. Let me tell you what I think. No, no, no. My authority as the pastor of Very Baptist Church is this word of God. Jesus Christ is the head. There is no one above us that tells us, oh, start using the NIV, start preaching repent of your sins, you know, start marrying homos. Nobody's telling us what to do. This is the authority. This is the head. See, the, the, because uh, uh, we're, we're, you said, what are we, what are we studying for the next three weeks? Here's what we're studying. The characteristics of a scripturally patterned church. A scripturally patterned church has authority structure that is the head, Jesus Christ, the pastor, deacons and evangelists if they're needed, and the congregation, and it is an autonomous group. It is the autonomy of the local church. They are independent. They are self-governing, self-sufficient. They've got no one as their head. They've got no one over them. It is the word of God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I know I preach longer than I usually do, and, uh, but there's just some truths here that we have to Go over and develop, Lord, and I pray that you would help us to be able to learn, Lord. Help us to be able to, we don't, we're not trying to act like we've got it all figured out, because we don't. But Lord, we need to be able to identify what, what makes up a scripturally patterned church. What is a true church? And help us to remember, Lord, these first two lessons. There's an authority structure, and it must be autonomous to be scriptural. Lord, help us as we spend the next couple of weeks studying this out, looking at it through the Bible. Help us to learn what the blueprint of a biblical church is. We love you, Lord, in your precious name. I pray, amen.